Mr. Tonight out of the uh, Gospel according to Luke in uh, the 24th chapter. I uh, don't know if it'll be helpful, but it's on page 1252 in my Bible. I don't know about your alls. If you have the exact same one I do, that might help. It's Luke chapter 24. It's the uh, very last chapter of Luke. So if you find the Gospel according to John, just go back a page or so and you'll be where I'm at. And uh, while you're finding it, you know, I want to I mention, you know, that a, a lot lately seems like it just keeps coming up in my life about this academic understanding of the Word of God. And when I say that, what I mean is, you know, that you've, you've taken information in, you understand certain things, you know certain things to be true. And I would never say that that doesn't have its place. But the way that I've thought about it a lot, and uh, my grandmother, Sister Eula, uh, you know, one of the things that she uh, had joked about, and I would plumb forgot about ever saying it, she mentioned it a, a few months back when we were talking, and uh, she was my Sunday school teacher when I was just a little bitty fella. And some of my earliest memories were in Miss Baisden's Sunday school class because all the other kids called her that, and I didn't call her mama all then. I called her Miss Baisden just like all the other kids did. And we'd been on uh, uh, something for quite a while. We was learning about David. And, uh, you know, so we, we get in there, we sit down and I might've been five years old at the most. And she said, all right, kids, uh, we're going to be talking about King David. And she said, I rolled my eyes in a big way and said, are we talking about that again? And, you know, I, I felt that we had thoroughly covered it. And, but I, I grew up going to Sunday school and had a very academic understanding knew the Bible uh, fairly well from a somewhat childish perspective, but I found that when I got saved that I knew a lot more than what I thought I did. I just got a little rusty on it in the intervening years and all that. But I found that all of that academic knowledge, while that it wasn't harmful to me, it wasn't all I needed in order to be a Christian. And a lot of times people try to swap one out for the other. But the truth is, is that having an understanding of God's Word, and I'm not talking about having it memorized. You know, people a lot of times, and I've always you know, tried to encourage people to not get uptight around me, but they'll go to talking about the Bible and they'll say, uh, well, I'm not real sure where it's at or what particular book. And I'm like, that's all right. What matters is having the Word hit in your heart, having a covenant relationship with the Most High God. And you may not remember the exact date when you had a conversation with somebody, but you know you talked to them, you know what it meant. And that's all that truly matters. Uh, That academic understanding and knowing chapter and verse, uh, uh, you don't think for a second that God uh, is going to say, well, now hold on. How many scriptures do you have memorized uh, exactly where that it's at? And the reason that I say that is here in the 24th chapter of the book of Luke that we find there's a couple of Jesus' followers who are making a trip on the road to Emmaus. And that's, uh, I believe it says in the King James English, three score furlongs from Jerusalem. Now I haven't sat down and done the, uh, the math on that or uh, you know, translated that into miles, but I doubt it was an insubstantial distance. And the reason that I say that is because the conversation that takes place afterwards rather lengthy. And that the disciples, you think about everything that brought them to this point. That they'd followed Jesus. 
They'd seen the things that He had done. John established that you couldn't have written down everything that Jesus did. Okay, And they followed Him and they saw Him touch blind eyes and people went away seeing, touch lame legs and they walked out, uh, uh, unstopped deaf ears and all these things that He'd done. And they had uh, an understanding and they had truth and they had all these things. Uh, uh, and they even had knowledge that it seemed as though He had resurrected. But they were walking along and they were having a downcast, sad conversation because all they had right then was an academic understanding of who Jesus Christ was. But what they were getting ready to do is to meet the truth, the way, and the life. They were getting ready to get that understanding that can't be expressed in words or written down anywhere. But it's a no-so sort of thing in which that the Holy Spirit imparts truth and so you'll notice as we start reading at verse 13 it's in Luke chapter 24 verse 13 it says and behold two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs and they talked together of all these things which had happened And it came to pass that while they communed together in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Verse 16, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Verse 17, and he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that ye have said one to another as ye walk and are sad that Jesus comes to him, and you can kind of say he's incognito. They don't recognize him. And I tell you, I think a lot of times the reason that that is is the same reason the Pharisees didn't. They couldn't see the forest for the trees. Their hearts were downcast. This guy comes up and says, what in the world are you all talking about? You seem awful sad. And to paraphrase the next couple of verses, they look around at him and say, buddy, are you new here? Have you not been in Jerusalem and seen what things have happened? Now these are some men uh, uh, who an angel had just told them, look, Jesus ain't here. You don't look for a living man among the dead. Uh, uh, But go to where that He said to meet Him at uh, after that He was raised. uh, Because all the time whenever He'd talk about His death, uh, they would look around and say, oh, don't talk like that. Uh, No, that we don't want this to happen. Uh, We want the kingdom to be established. We want to see more miracles and all of these things. But all of that was pointless without the resurrection. And you see, a lot of times people want to talk about the goodness of Christ, but they don't want to talk about the resurrection. The way the Apostle Paul put it, as he said, without the resurrection, most of the rest of it really don't mean anything to you. Because if He is still dead, then the dead rise not. And we have no hope. And it's over and done. You might as well enjoy it while you can, because when we die, there's nothing left but hell. And so they're walking along and they're talking and they're sad with their academic understanding. They've seen all the stuff that you and I would love to have seen. They've seen it and they're not running and shouting. They don't have joy bubbling out of their hearts. They're downcast. And they're talking to Jesus Himself and they don't even recognize Him. And so they're walking along now. And it says uh, uh, in verse 19, And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, 
uh, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. You see, they're calling him a prophet. There's lots of people nowadays that are willing to concede that and say, oh yeah, he was a prophet, but he wasn't the Son of God. Uh, most of the Muslims, they have issue with calling Jesus the Son of God. The Jehovah's Witnesses that'll knock on your door, they'll come there and if you ask them, do you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? God, uh, if you can pin them down, they'll tell you, no, uh, we don't believe that. Uh, and that's a problem uh, for the Christian because he wasn't the Son of God, uh, then he wasn't a sinless sacrifice. Uh, and if he wasn't a sinless sacrifice, then he died in vain. And he's still dead. He didn't raise. And so they mention this. And it says in verse 20, and how the chief priests... And our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which had, would, should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Now you see, what we have is we have the Lord of the empty tomb. I tell you that He's the only one that just needed to borrow a grave. I think about that often. When He was born into this world, there wasn't room for Him. And so He laid in a manger. And He, when He died and went to the grave, He just needed it for a couple of days. You don't rent grave space, but He did. He went to that grave and he did indeed raise on the third day. And so these disciples, they say, well, we know that something is peculiar about this. But maybe they were waiting for more facts. And oh, did Jesus give them all the facts. Because you'll notice what he says to them now. Then said he unto them, verse 25, Then said he unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? You see, it was prophesied from early on that Jesus would come into this world now. In Isaiah chapter 9, and I've thought about this a lot. You know, if they'd come to you and say, All right, we want you to go down into this world and they showed you Isaiah chapter 9 where it says they'll call him wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father the prince of peace you'd look around and say hey sign me up I'll do that oh, yeah. yeah that sounds good to me but boy when they spring Isaiah 53 on you you might change your mind. You might look around and say, oh, wait a minute. I hear words like uh, being wounded and bruised. Uh, that it pleased God uh, to smite him uh, and to, to put the chastisement of our peace upon him. Uh, that he took stripes on his back for our healing. Uh, and then you would look around and say, uh, maybe you ought to find some. I think I'm busy that day. I don't think I want to do that. Uh, but Jesus knew Isaiah chapter 9 uh, just like he knew Isaiah chapter 53. He came into this world anyway, and he went through all of that. And when Jesus tells them, Look, 
You're slow to understand. And Jesus had told him the whole way, I must suffer and die, but I'm going to raise on the third day. And that's fact. But they didn't want to hear it. And it's the same as the way people are nowadays. You go to talking about Jesus and you'll see him get all clenched up. I'm telling you, somebody can get on TV and they can thank God and everybody's fine. They'll clap their hands. Oh yeah, thank God. But you hear them saying, I thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the clapping will stop. And they'll say, oh, don't use that name. But I tell you, there's no other name given among men whereby that somebody can be saved. And it's not just hearing about Him. It's not just studying Him or knowing about Him. But it's meeting him face to face. And the only one that reveals that to us now is the Holy Spirit. And these guys hadn't gotten the Holy Spirit yet. This book ends with Jesus telling them, look, when the Holy Spirit comes, He'll give you power. He'll give you truth. You'll be able to go out into the world and begin to do the work that I've set you out to do. But prior to that, prior to meeting that Shekinah glory of the Most High God, prior to a personal encounter, all He is is a story. He's just some dude you've heard about. Ah, yeah. And you see, I told you, I grew up hearing all about this Jesus guy. But I never met him. Didn't know who he was. I knew all kinds of facts about him. And I'm sure you've had that happen to you before in your life where you hear somebody talk about this other person and you're thinking, well, they sound like a pretty good guy. And you almost feel like you know him. And then you meet him. And you meet him and you're like, they are a good guy. And you get to commune with them. And you realize, yeah, now I know them personally. And that's the way I was. I'd heard about this good guy, Jesus. I would even resort to him as best I could, Brother Dennis. But it didn't mean a whole lot because I never met him personally. And one night in my own bedroom, I called out and invited him into my life. And I met him personally that night. And he opened my eyes. And I seen that, yes, he died on the cross. But most importantly, because he lives, I too can live. That that takes the stinger right out of death. That doesn't that keeps me from worrying about the grave. And Jesus is talking to them, and they're saying they took him and they killed him, and we just don't know what to do now. Because we thought sure we knew how things were going to turn out. And you know, I always found it funny, this movement, at least first time I became aware of it, I don't know that it started then, but I first became aware of the whole what would Jesus do movement when I was in high school, a junior or senior. I remember hearing that and the kids running around saying it, I knew it. I knew their deeds. And I knew enough of the Bible to look around and say, look, you might be saying what would Jesus do, but you ain't doing what Jesus would do. And the funny thing is, though, is that's really a conceit to say that. What would Jesus do? Because you think about how many times people thought they knew what Jesus would do. The Pharisees, they brought a woman to him caught in the very act of adultery. They thought, well, he'll tell us to kill her. He didn't do that at all. He didn't say to kill her and he didn't say to not kill her. He told them, said, well, look at yourselves. Look at your own sin. 
See whether or not you are even worthy to judge this person. Because while that they may have not committed adultery, they had committed the sins. And if you commit one sin, you break one law of the commandments, you're guilty of all of the rest of them. And that's all that Jesus did to them. And so they left one by one. But they left without really knowing Christ. Without really looking around and saying, you know what, Jesus, I've got sin in my life and I need you to deal with it because I've committed sin and it might not be as bad as somebody else's, but the least little bit of sin is going to send a person to hell. That little white lie is just as bad as murder. And that's hard to conceive of in the human mind. We look around, we say, well, now I'm telling you now, I've got a real soft spot. Somebody does something to a kid or a baby. Now I'm telling you now, that'll get my hackles up. You should get just as upset about somebody else committing adultery as you would if it was a pedophile. That we should be just as against those sins as we are against not remembering the Sabbath to keep it holy. We should be as indignant against uh, uh, idolatry and things like that, but a lot of times we give people a free pass on that one. Oh, yeah. And you see, Jesus then, what He came into the world to do was to deal with all of those sins. That was His job. That was why He had to die on the cross because it is established all the way back in the Old Testament without the shedding of blood, no remission of sin. It doesn't work. Adam and Eve tried it. When they looked down and seen that they were naked, they grabbed a bunch of plants. Covered themselves with them. And God seen them. And He seen that the covering was not sufficient. It didn't do it. And so the first sacrifice took place right there in Eden. Said that God took a couple of animals. Because of an Adam and Eve's sin, something else died. Yes. Death came into this world because of what they had done. And it said that God took them, took those animals and killed them and covered them with those animal skins. And that stayed their sin. He didn't deal with it. And all the way back then though, there was a man that was going to come and deal with sin once and for all. And you'll notice now, after Jesus says all that to them, Luke says in verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Uh, that that I, I find it funny that a lot of people nowadays, these so-called modern uh, theologians, uh, that they'll look around and say, Well, all you need is a New Testament. Jesus went back into the Old Testament and preached Christ crucified in the Old Testament. And I've heard preachers say, well now, when you preach out of the Old Testament, you're not preaching about the crucifixion. Let me tell you, yes you are. Because it's all about the crucifixion. Because without the crucifixion, none of that stuff much matters. As I've heard several ministers say over the years, it's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. You can do it. You can put it in a nice pretty pattern. But it's mostly pointless because that ship's going down. But with the crucifixion and more importantly, the resurrection, we can have life and we can have it more abundantly. Because you think about it. John, at the beginning of this same gospel, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he pointed and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then Jesus was examined 
brought before the chief priests. They found no fault in him. Then they took him and nailed him to that cross and he was an acceptable sacrifice for your sin, for my sin, for all sin that had ever been committed. And so Jesus tells them all this and in verse 28 it says, And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him saying, Abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Verse 30, And it came to pass as he sat at meat with him, he took bread and blessed it and break it and gave to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. It wasn't quite time yet, but they looked around and said, you know what? We've been with Jesus that we've seen the resurrected Savior. And when he would come to them and begin to minister to them, that they begin to get strengthened. And Jesus not only did he strengthen them, but he looked at the apostle Peter and he said, when you converted, strengthen the brethren. And if you go right over into the book of Acts, uh, you'll find uh, that on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, after the Passover, they're gathered together. They're of one mind and one accord. 120 people there praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit because Jesus told them in John, when I go away, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and He's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to give you the strength. He's going to fortify your knees when you're standing before the adversaries. Because if you look, I mean, at this point, every one of them had quit him. They run off and hid Go back to their nets and start fishing. They go back to their old life. And he comes, gathers them up because the shepherd had been smitten and the sheep had scattered. He gathered them all back up and they hung together right there in that upper room. And it says that on the day of Pentecost that something broke loose and Jesus had told them, you wait on the Holy Spirit. And when he comes in, then that's when you begin. And it says that on that day, the very one, I, I, you know, I think that everybody there was shocked when Peter stood up. Because they looked around and said, Peter swore and denied him. And Peter probably looked around and said, I'm not worthy to say anything. And maybe he was down and feeling down on himself. He had an academic understanding. He kept reminding himself, now I know the Lord did these things. And I know what He said. And we do that a lot of times when we're hurting, when we're in the midst of trials and tribulations. And we'll quote scriptures to ourselves. And it doesn't seem like it helps. I know I've been there. I don't know about you all. And yet, when the Holy Spirit shows up, He'll take those scriptures and He'll make them live to you. That when your knees are weak, He'll strengthen them. When you feel like that you can't take another step, suddenly He'll touch and you'll run. Suddenly you'll mount up like His wings of eagles because He brings the strength, He brings the truth, and He brings the power. And so the very one that the whole group thought, well, it won't be Peter if anybody stands up to say anything because he, well, he messed up royally. Funny thing was, they all forsook him. Oh, yeah. Peter just took a little longer yeah. that he did it too. And in, in usual fashion for Peter, he did it in a big way. Oh, yeah. 
And it says that the Holy Spirit came and lit on them like cloven tongues. They heard a rushing wind. I think about that anytime I'm sitting in the house and I hear the wind coming crashing through the trees there. And I think, I bet it was something like that. Or maybe, you know, people when they go through a tornado and they say, it sounds like a freight train. Well, they didn't know what a freight train was back then, but I'll bet it sounded something like that and said that it come in lit on them like cloven tongues of fire. And the least man to stand up that everybody thought he's done, it's over. He's down for the count. Uh, the Holy Spirit come over and said, Get up uh, and tell them what I tell you. Uh, and it says that Peter stands up uh, and begins to preach the gospel. Uh, and every man hears it in his own tongue. And they're astonished. And then they look around and they say, Well, what can we do? And Peter says, Repent and be baptized. Yes. Because he told them about the man who died on the cross. And then they said, well, what can we do? And that story goes throughout Acts. You see it repeated several different times, maybe different characters, but it's essentially the same. They encounter Christ. The Lord sends a preacher to them. Somebody to lead them to where that they can look around and say, well, then what can I do? And they tell them, repent and be baptized. Now I tell you, a lot of times people want to be a Christian without repentance. People want to do things in a half measure. But God wants you to commit you know I've seen people stand up and say I've been on this way for 50 years and yet they'll get in the right church service and suddenly they'll get something they've never got before because maybe they've been holding back and I ain't saying they wasn't a Christian but man they were they were always running around on a quarter tank when God wanted to fill them up oh yeah they were running around saying, no, no, I just want a little bit. I don't want my cup to run over. You remember what I preached on Sunday? I said, ask big. That's what God wants us to do is ask big. Ask for the Holy Spirit. He said to ask, to seek, and to knock. And we've got to seek Him out while He may yet be found. And these guys, you know, the funny thing is, they're like that movie Forrest Gump. I don't know if you all have watched that. He was a mentally impaired man. And the guy asked him, said, have you found Jesus? And he said, I didn't even know I was supposed to be looking for him. I think that's the way these guys was. They wasn't looking for him. They thought they'd left Jesus behind them in a grave. That his body was somewhere. And then they seen, oh, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me. A long life's weary way. That they found out that day. And those 3,000 men that heard the gospel on the day of Pentecost, they found out that there's a man. I tell you that one of my favorite things to say to somebody when I know that they're seeking the Lord is come see a man. Go see Jesus. I can't save you. I can point you in the right direction. I'll draw you a map. I'll point you in the Bible. I'll give you scriptures. uh, And you can read those and understand them. uh, But go see the man. And find him. uh, And receive him. Uh, He wants to come and dwell in a man's heart. uh, And stay with him. uh, uh, And strengthen him. And help him along the way. And on the road to Emmaus. 
These guys got more than what they bargained for, didn't they? Oh, yeah. That Jesus preached the crucifixion out of the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I tell you, there's, there's sermons that I've never been able to work up the courage to preach. But now Jesus, He took and He opened the Old Testament to Him. The Word made flesh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And He showed them how that Christ had to die. Had to die for their sins. They thought He was a prophet. Turns out, He was the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Calling Jesus Christ a prophet is like calling a Grand Canyon a ditch. Okay, He, he de- definitely had the attributes of a prophet, but so very much more. And you see, people, they want to they go to Jesus' Facebook and like His page and think that's enough. They want to buy His merchandise. And say, I'm a fan. I approve. I like you. I can tell you this though. You see, when I decided that I was in love with this girl named Crystal Gale Meddings many years ago now, and I was at an old uh, skating rink with her. I was there for one reason, and it wasn't to skate. It was to see her. And I had held her hand, scared to death, <laughs> weak in the knees. I remember I tell this story a lot. You know, before I ever saw her face, I'd interacted with her. My cousin brought her right to my door. You know, and, and I, I, I got to talk with her and getting to know her and everything. Never, never really seen her in the light. I'd seen her silhouette. And I really started liking her before I'd ever seen her. Really was beginning to fall for her. And when the time come that I wanted to make sure that she was mine, I committed. That I told her. I looked right at her, looked her right in the eyes. I didn't know what it was at the time. I had a pretty good inkling. I'd heard a lot of songs about it and uh, poems and things like that. But I told her, I said, I, I think I love you. And she looked right back at me and she said, I know I love you. <laughs> she knew better than I did. And, and you know, that's the way it is with the Lord. We might look at Him and say, I think I love you. And He says, I do love you. I died for you. I want to save you before that it's too late. And what He wants us to do is to commit to Him. And yes, we get down along the way. Yes, it's not a, a, a life where that we have everything we want and everything's easy. But I tell you this, uh, when we're most down, He's right there with us. Uh, when we're in difficulty, uh, He's there encouraging us. Uh, he'll lead us beside the still waters. Uh, he'll make us to lie down in green pastures. Uh, if we're in the presence of our enemies, uh, He'll prepare a table for us. Uh, and they'll have to watch us eat it. Uh, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death we don't have to be afraid of evil and I think about that a lot because I was always afraid of death and when I met Christ I realized it was just a shadow I don't know if you all have ever had this happen to you you side the road or somewhere or something like that and a vehicle goes by and the shadow passes over you didn't hurt me a bit now if that vehicle hit me it hurt awful bad And you see, that's what Jesus did. He said, here, let's get out of the road. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the shadow now, when, it, when, when you're not expecting it, it'll startle you. Oh, yes. It'll scare you. But it has no power over you. Right. Because that He puts you 
on the right spot. You was on that broad, wide way and He put you on the narrow path where the shadow just passes over you, but it has no power. David knew that all the way back then. I hope you know that tonight, that death has no power over you with Christ in your heart, that He's going to take care of you, not just in this life, but in the next one as well. And that's the most important part. I can't tell you how often as a teacher that I'll tell students, I'll look at them and say, now look, if you don't understand this, you need to let me know because what we're getting ready to do next depends on you understanding that. And all it'll do is just keep hurting you. And I think for a lot of people, and I hope this doesn't apply to anybody here tonight, but I think a lot of people, what they do is they live about three-quarter defeated. Oh, yeah. That they haven't really fully grabbed onto the victory in Jesus. Even though we'll throw the hymnal open to page 120 and sing victory in Jesus. Uh, Do we really have it? Do we fully believe it? Have we invested? Uh, These guys didn't know it uh, until the day of Pentecost uh, with the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit. He's here tonight. You know, Jesus, when He was telling them about the Holy Spirit... He told him, he said, it's a good thing that I go away so that he will come. Oh, yes. Yes. And you think about it because see, when Jesus was with these guys on the road to Emmaus, he could only be with those guys. Oh, yeah. He couldn't be somewhere else. If he had an appointment at 10 a.m. in one spot, he couldn't be somewhere else at 10 a.m. Right. But the Holy Spirit, yeah. he can be here tonight yeah. and over to Wayne Church of God. And over to all the other churches in the area too that He's not here at the expense of everyone else. And He doesn't come to your house at the expense of not coming to mine. And that's what we have in Jesus. And so when He said He's going to come and He's going to comfort you. Oh yes. You ever notice that in your most dire times that how that He'll show up? (laughs) What a friend! We have in Jesus, and what a friend we have in His Holy Spirit that'll come and comfort you. You know, I remember in some of the most trying times of my life, you know, I've had trouble with anxiety most of my adult life. Actually, all of my life. I just didn't know that's what it was when I was a kid. And I remember one time in particular, it was real bad. And if you've ever dealt with it, you may know what I'm talking about. If you've never dealt with it, then God has really blessed you. But I was in the midst of this, and I was worried and wringing my hands and everything, and I was by myself. And the people that truly know me, I don't even have to tell them. They know. And just come put their arm around me. Oh, yeah. They didn't say a word. They knew that I was upset. And they just put their arm around me and just knowing that they were there meant a whole bunch. Oh, yeah. And I tell you, there's lots of times when that I'll be alone and I have to remind myself, Lord, I know You're there. Lord, I know that, that You care more than I can even understand. And though that I may be in the darkest spot, I think about what David said when he said, even if I make my bed in the oh, belly yeah. of hell, 
He said, I know that you're with me, Lord. Yeah. He knew the God that he served. Do you know the God that you serve? Do you know the Holy Spirit? Most importantly, do you know Jesus Christ? Because he's the only one that can get you to the Holy Spirit and before the Heavenly Father. And so if you miss that step, it's kind of hard to make the other ones. Yeah. In fact, thus saith the Word of God, it's quite impossible. Oh, yes. Because without Him, none of the rest of it really means right. anything. It's just words. It's just academic understanding. But the Holy Spirit, He'll come along and He'll impart truth yes. to you. That's how you'll know things. You know how you know them. That's how that... You'll be led to do something, and at the time you'll think, I don't even know why I did that. Oh, yeah. I've had that happen to me lots, and then yeah. look around and marvel at it, and then know that was the Lord's Holy Spirit. Yes. He found some use out of me, and praise be unto God, He did. Uh, because if it's solely up to me, I don't know what kind of shape things would be in. Right. And you see these, these men and all these ones, you know, we need not read the scriptures and be too hard on these guys. Right. Because we have the benefit of looking back. But you'll notice like in the book of Acts in the second chapter, Peter and John go up to the temple. Oh, yeah. Peter heals a man. Oh, yeah. They bring him up before the same guys that Peter was afraid of going for oh, yeah. before. And the only difference was he met the resurrected Christ and he had the yeah. Holy Spirit. And Jesus had told them, when they bring you up before councils, don't you worry about what right. you're going to say. He said, my Holy Spirit will speak through you. Oh, Peter pointed his finger right in their faces. And he said, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, oh, yes. it's by Him that I was able to heal that man, not of my own power, but by Him. That oh, yes. he knew without Christ he couldn't do anything. He seen the measure of himself when he ran away scared from a little girl, oh, yeah. accusing him of being one of Jesus' oh, yes. followers. And I guess he spoke rightly when he said, no, I'm not one. But he was going to be. Oh, yes. And you see, I'm thankful that our Lord is the Lord of second chances. Yes. And third and yes. fourth. Yes. And you just pick any number you oh, want yeah. to because he's ready, willing, and able to forgive. Oh, yes. That's why he went to the cross. Right. He doesn't want it to be wasted. Right. And all we have to do is believe on him. Amen. Yeah, and I ask you tonight that if you